Well, my friends, it seems that it is that time. Time for another Black History Moment with Bo. And it is so good to have you with me here today. It tells me that you are striving to learn more. And when you learn more, you become more. Never let that negative notion that you are too old to learn something ever exist within your being. Your mind was meant to learn and retain everything that it possibly could. So the idea about you can never teach an old dog new tricks is a lie. So let's slip into darkness and see what demons we can pull to the light. Things are changing in America. And in many ways, whiteness haven't been prepared for those changes. To be white has been to take a lot for granted over the years and to assume that their normal was everyone's normal, that their way of seeing the country and the culture and that their experiences within both were the ones that mattered and were normative for all, they could take for granted that the political leaders would look like them, as would the cultural icons. They would all have salt of the earth biographies and chiseled jaws and wear cowboy hats like John Wayne, or for that matter, Ronald Reagan riding horseback on his ranch they could take for granted that their communities would be filled mostly with people that looked like them and whose culture and religious traditions were similar to their own. They would not see or think about people of color too often, let alone rub shoulders with them daily on the job or in the supermarket. They wouldn't see signs printed in languages other than English. As harsh as it may sound to some of us, Toni Morrison had it right when she suggested, in this country, America means white. But now white normativity is being challenged, and not only on one front, but on four, political, economic, cultural, and demographic, and each of these in turn, and especially together, poses a direct challenge to whiteness on yet a fifth front, the narrative front, by which I mean that battlefield of ideals within which the normal character and story itself are defined and told to others. First, amongst the recent challenges to white normativity is the election of a black man to the very pinnacle of power, commander-in-chief of the United States of America. Although this may not seem a big deal to some, 
especially those who are younger and lack the historical context to understand the magnitude of such a thing. Rest assured, there are millions for whom it was a very big deal indeed. Having grown up in a society where the leaders all looked like them and had names like theirs and biographies similar to theirs, to now have the nation led by someone whose father was African, not even African-American, but African, and whose name is Barack Hasim Obama, and who lived outside the United States for a few years of his earlier years, is to have their notions of political Americanness fundamentally challenged. Then, of course, there is the economic insecurity that has caught them so off guard. Double-digit unemployment, housing foreclosures, unaffordable health care, failing schools. None of this is new for us, but for whiteness, it is horrifyingly unique. It has been roughly three quarters of a century, dating back to the Great Depression, since we have collectively faced that kind of financial trauma and anxiety. Whiteness assumption about the opportunity structure have been thrown off balance and have been so ill-prepared for such a thing, they find themselves suffering not only the material insecurity that comes from a faltering economy, but also the psychological trauma born of realizing that everything so many of them assumed about our country and the system under which we live may well have been wrong. In addition to the political and economic challenges to white normality, there is more. A third concern is the rather dramatic cultural transformation of modern American society. Just a few decades ago, most all the popular cultural icons in films, television, music, and the like were white like them. Even MTV, during the first several years on the air, refused to play any videos by black artists, with Michael Jackson being the first and for a while the only exception to a generally white rule. The cultural images beamed not only around the nation, but also around the world, were of a white America. But now it is fair to say that American culture is thoroughly multicultural, with each thread of that cultural garment being interlaced with others. From the foods we eat to the music we hear to the clothing styles, there is no way to separate the various cultural and ethnic threads any longer. Hip-hop has become the dominant popular cultural form in the United States and comprises a significant part of the soundtrack of most young people's lives, including most young whites, 
We've got rap artists making records with country artists, and that hootie guy is now one of the fastest rising stars in Nashville. Even small towns now have Indian and Vietnamese restaurants. And let's not forget the transformation of the religious landscape in which we can see the addition of mosques and Hindu temples in communities that once held only churches and the occasional synagogues. Finally, and perhaps most important, there is that rapidly changing demographic landscape that we keep hearing about in the media or about which we ourselves whisper in hushed and occasionally nervous tones. According to projections, by no later than 2050, whiteness will cease to be the majority in the United States. By then, they will have dipped to just under half of all Americans, while people of color will comprise the collective majority. In several states, this population shift has already happened, with white comprising half or less of the population. For people who have been able to take their fundamental Americanness for granted, to suddenly be faced with the realization that they will have to share that designation with people who look different and pray differently and whose primary language may be different from their own can be quite jarring for some of them. The club is no longer exclusive. The membership roles are being opened up. In the process, the sense of specialness that American identity once held for them is being bid downward by the inclusion of some within its ranks who never would have qualified in decades and eras past. Within perhaps a decade or two, it may no longer be automatic that they envision a white person from the so-called heartland when the terms all-American boy or all-American girl are used. Rather, they might envision a first Latina immigrant in the Southwest, a Hmong farmer in Wisconsin, or Arab Muslim in Detroit, Michigan. Beyond that, all whites depended on laws to defend slavery and segregation so as to elevate them politically, socially, and economically. They were dependent on Mexicans to teach them how to extract gold from riverbanks and quartz critical to the growth of the economy in the late 1800s. And had they not taken over half this nation in an unprovoked war, the Pacific ports so vital to modern U.S. economy would have not been ours, but Mexico's. Then they were dependent on their labor in the mid-20th century under the Brock Carroll program, 
though which more than 5 million Mexicans were brought into the country for agriculture work and then sent back across the border. And they were dependent on Asian labor to build the railroads that made transcontinental commerce possible. 90% of the labor used to build the Central Pacific Railroad in the 1860s were Chinese imported for that purpose and exploited because the rail bosses felt that group was easier to control than white workers. Indeed, their dependence on people of color continues to this day. Each year, us, African Americans, alone spend over $700 billion with white-owned companies, money that goes mostly into the pockets of white owners, white employees, white stockholders, and the white communities in which they live. Even the mass incarceration of people of color, largely for nonviolent drug-related offenses, has resulted in the transfer of billions of dollars to white communities, money upon which these communities have come to depend because prisons are typically located in small, mostly white places and because inmates count in the local community's population numbers. Their transfers from large cities to rural prison results in more federal funds for rural communities due to census-based budgetary allocations up to $25,000 per inmate. So make no mistake, the narrative of individualism and personal responsibility bears little resemblance of the reality of their lives as a nation or as a people. And so they will seek to discredit the notion of the public good whether represented by guaranteed health care access or publicly supported economic stimulus and job creation programs, and instead insist on budget cuts, forgetting the fact that millions of them are out of work too, and lack affordable health care, yet many of them fall for their own scheme openly admitting on camera that they'd rather go without health care than have it provided by the government. But how many of them would continue to feel that way when in need of care after surviving a heart attack or at the very moment when our spouse or partner or a parent suffered an exploding brain aneurysm or the next time one of our children has a fever of 105 and goes into convulsions. In the face of those harsh realities, how many of them would continue to insist upon the evil of big government? No matter how much they've been encouraged to ignore it, the fact remains that the public good is their good for we are all part of the public. Unless whiteness can see the fates 
of all those black and brown folks that the right has been encouraging them to fear and loathe as their brothers and sisters, they're in for some rough years ahead. Indeed, had they allowed themselves to see the commonality of interest early on, and this is the really, truly sick part, my friends, the things that should really keep them up at night, the pain and anxiety so many of their number are currently experiencing may never have manifested at all. So there you have it, my friends. The transformation of America is in progress as we speak. Change is inevitable. Time will move your body as well as your mind. No matter what lies ahead, we must continue to move forward ever and backward never. This transformation is a slow process. As Martin Luther King said, we will get there. I may not get there with you, but we will get there. And I will leave you with this message. The future of black people is not dependent upon how white people treat us. The future of black people is dependent upon how we treat each other. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor 